It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down I was born. Well, hey there, folks. Uh, my name's KP Burke. The show's called American Loser. And uh, I have a little bit of a throat tickle thing going on today, so it's going to be sounding a little bit different. Uh, but my father's here, Lawrence Patrick. Say hello, you delf of a dad. Hey, you. hello, hello. And that little throat tickle, we'll, we'll assume that that's just a throat tickle. We're going to hope so, because uh, unfortunately, uh, the big kahuna has the big corona. <laughs> I did. So. He's uh, actually, I think he's waiting to be safe. He's waiting for test results and he just wanted to be kind to uh, the good people here to share the universe podcast studio. So uh, lucky us. Who's behind the ones and twos today, Dad? Oh, man, none other but the, the Ming himself. What's up, everybody? <laughs> What's up? Great to be here. Um, yeah, Kuni loved it so much once he decided to get it again. That's, <laughs> yeah. I guess he uh, was listening to the Typhoid Mary episode and uh, decided not to be that guy. Yeah, it's his um, it's his one year anniversary of the last time he got it. So, uh, but we know he wanted to be here today because I have money I owe him for uh, my comedy album that's coming out soon, guys. Uh, the special will be released for free on YouTube, so check that thing out. It's gonna be called Escape from Jacksonville. I'm just waiting on the good people over at 800 Pound Gorilla to get back to me, which they will. They got some stuff going on. New year, new me, right, Dad? Yeah, that's it. So, um, also real quick, uh, Ming, I don't know uh, what you want to say about it, but uh, uh, Rob Bruce is dead. Uh, he is good guy. Um, he was his heart was as big as he was annoying. That's the best <laughs> way I can put it. And um, yeah, just real quick, I think you know, I, I, you know, unfortunately, he passed untimely death way too early. Of course, I think he would have got a big tickle that not only did the New York Post pick up his, the story of his death, but the UK Sun and a number of other outlets. No so, shit. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Zapsic wrote something beautiful. He and did. I know that that came from a place of pain for him. So it, it, de it definitely did. And uh, it's funny. The New York Post called him the star of comic book men, which he definitely would have gotten a tickle out of. Because <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. But um, you know, I, I rest in peace, Rob Bruce. Uh, may you enjoy the big flea market in the sky. <laughs> and, uh, I'm sure he's. There he's, you go. He, I'm sure he's. Uh, you know, he's, he's swindling uh, God and Peter out of a great deal on on a Godzilla. <laughs> Statue or brutal, uh, brutal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, but you know, no. Seriously, you're great, great guy. Of you know, uh, uh, definitely a personality, and uh, he will be missed for sure. I hear you, man. It's shitty news, shitty weird news. I don't know if he counts as one of the celebrities because that would mean that we got. That means somebody's got to get cast out because we lost Betty White, we lost uh, John Madden, the immortal John Madden, the immortal Betty White, Dan Reeves, former coach for the Giants, and uh, now Robert Bruce. Somebody's got to be cast out as celebrity land here. <laughs> I don't know who we're going to kick out. I mean, it, that celebrity is relative, my friends. So uh, you you, uh, you make you make the call, as they say. Yeah, in which in which uh, theater, in which realm? Did you say theater, Dad? Theater, yeah. Did you well, say theater? I guess, that I, I guess I had it on my mind. You said theater, didn't you? I did say theater. Well, that's weird because we got a story today that came to us from a, a former assistant scoutmaster, I mean, a great guy. <laughs> there you go, uh, a guy who I enjoyed growing up around because he would come by with his dog. You'd see him around the neighborhood and stuff. Absolutely. His son is a Patreon member. That always helps. Noah, how are you, buddy? <laughs> um, 
Doug Vogel gave us this particular episode. He did indeed. And it's going to start off pretty good, and it ends with a bang. Uh, but then the bang is kind of the uh, the moment that sets everything up. Because, you know, I think we kind of covered it with Warren G. Harding. Warren G. Harding died, former president of the United States, for those who don't know. Um, check out the back catalog, you know. Um, but former U.S. president, very, very popular man while he was in office. And then once he died, they realized all the bad shit this guy was doing behind the scenes. And he's one of the most hated and vilified men after his death, though. Right. But as far as he's concerned, when he died, oh, hey, man, good guy, party guy. I'm going to be on the $20 bill, I think. <laughs> so, but this guy's pretty interesting, too, because he probably thought he was pretty popular during his life, too. Well, you never did name the. The listener that uh, put us on to this topic. Yes, I did. I said Doug Vogel. No, you said Noah. You mentioned Noah. I said Noah. Noah, and then I said Doug Vogel. All right. Well, here's a shout out to Doug Vogel. People who are listening back to this, message me. If my father is having a moment right now, <laughs> yeah, tell, recommend be. some good homes for us to put in. Senior moment. That's it. Well. Something with a window. That's. <laughs> now you're prone to escape. Um, June 25th, 1906 is the inciting incident of this story. Maybe I shouldn't call it the inciting incident because it's really the, the penultimate moment, I guess. But the theater of Madison Square Garden, old school Madison Square Garden, you know, where Jimmy Braddock used to box. It's opening night of a new show called Mademoiselle Champagne. All right. And all the big shots of early 1900s in New York are present. There's a guy named Stanford White, a very wealthy architect that is credited as the American Renaissance man for his architectural abilities and designs. He's sitting there in the crowd. It's opening night of a big new show, Madison Square Theater. You're going to be there, right? Yeah, being, being he uh, virtually designed the place that everybody's sitting in, he's, he's a notable. He's a notable for sure. He's uh, It's a room full of uh, the, the power players here, the New York uh, elite, if you will. And again, the guy's considered the American Renaissance man for architecture stuff. It's pretty cool. Um, now, as this show, which again is called Mademoiselle Champagne, I just want to let you guys know how good I am at enunciating. There you go. Um, for the Frenchies. Yeah, the uh, we have no listeners in France. Let's fix that. Thank you. A song called I Could Love a Million Girls. A little ironic here. Once <laughs> yeah, you, really. Once we get into the nitty gritty of it. Somewhat telling. Yeah. Um, during a song called I Could Love a Million Girls, another New York elite by the name of Harry Kendall Thaw will approach Stanford White, say out loud, you've ruined my wife. Not life, wife. You've ruined my wife. Then pulls out a gun and shoots this motherfucker three times, killing the renowned architect instantly. Yeah, three times in the face. Uh, two bullets hit him. One bullet misses. So, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Thaw, not a great shot, but uh, <laughs> in the heat of the moment, he wanted to make sure he landed his line. Yeah, more of a dramatic fellow. But... Uh, You've ruined my wife, shoots him three times. Bystanders and other theater goers at first thought this to be part of the production or an elaborate hoax. And I can't help but think back to when I was a little kid and we all thought that, um, you know, maybe Owen Hart wasn't actually dead. Maybe it was part of like the gimmick or something like that. And oh, then you yeah. find out that Owen Hart's actually dead and you're like, OK, well, this pay-per-view is going to be weird. So, um, but as Stanford White's lifeless body bleeds out on the floor, they begin to realize as he's looking up. At the roof of a building. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, Dad. Did he not? Was he not the architect behind this building? Yeah, he was the guy that designed the place. So this guy is now laying on his back, if you will, or looking up at the ceiling, I should say. Um, two gunshot wounds in him in the middle of a crowded place, hearing screams and panics and the mayhem and chaos that's uh, ensuing. And he's looking up and he's seeing, well, here's something beautiful I left the world. Yeah, that's kind of a cool way to go. If you have to get murdered, you want to look at something cool in your last moments. It's his final... Uh 
final uh, testimony, I guess, as he is dying in the place that he built or designed anyhow. And that's kind of cool. You know what I mean? That's kind of cool. Because originally, again, keep in mind, this guy is considered a pretty good guy. So let's learn some more, though. Why the hell are you getting shot? It's uh, They're going to begin to realize, though, that this great architect of their metropolis, he's not making it home from this show. Stanford White is dead. But he's born in 1853. His father is a bit of a dandy. Um, you want to describe what a dandy is, Dad? Uh, um, a purveyor of the arts. Uh, he's uh, um, get about fashion. Yeah. We would um, call it like a metrosexual would be a word. All right. Um, you want to put it into uh, the current parlance. But it's, that's, that's fine. Oh, he's um, uh, the word I heard used once was vivacious. Vivacious? Okay. But um, hilarious side note, Ming, did you notice that my father has green paint on his head? <laughs> uh, I did not. Should I ask? Well, uh, I came off the ladder painting uh, to get here today. So uh, You guys think we faked this blue collar <laughs> shit? No, I worked all day today. I come home. He's painting his new house. I had to pick him up. You know, he drove me over here. <laughs> Um, yeah, I got a little on the knuckles, too. Okay, was, we're I, far from dandies, is what we're trying to say. Right, right. All right. I was just hoping it wasn't some weird, like, Corona variant or something. No, 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 no. Okay, good. Okay, continue. Well, his father was a bit of a dandy, okay? Somebody who likes the uh, the style and the fashion, like you were saying, Dad. And he has many connections into the art world, because he likes to have these cool art pieces around the house, even though he doesn't have a whole lot of money. No, uh, he's pretty much uh, flat broke, but uh, um, he... But this apartment, when yeah. you see it... All right. It's gorgeous. It is to die for. Right. So due to these connections, though, he's able to acquire an apprenticeship as an architect for his son, Stanford right. White. He had a lot of contacts around the city and some rather important people. I mean, at the time, too, I mean, if you're an artist, you're going to have to get somebody to financially back you. And he was all about some of the um, well-to-do uh, backers of, of the art world. So. Are you telling me that um, back in the day there used to be a system of like people supporting artists whose work they enjoyed? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Patreon for just as little as $5 a month. <laughs> American Loser, you get one exclusive episode every month. For $5, we'll also send you merch. For $3, you don't get any merch, but we still love you. Yeah, I don't know what category we're going to put American Loser in as far as the art form, but uh, yeah, we're working. This is, um, this is art in a weird way. But <laughs> uh, our boy um, Stanford White, though, as you said, Dad, he's able to – make these connections due to his father and uh, he winds up working as an architect by the age of 18 this is a young man here stanford is knee deep in the rapidly changing world of new york city architecture working for the very well-known henry hobson richardson yeah now richardson he is uh he is a big time uh, architect he is considered one of the uh i had some research consider him the trinity of american architecture with uh, richard uh Richardson, uh, Lewis Sullivan, and then, of course, Frank Lloyd yeah. Wright. So made famous by notorious B.I.G. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and actually, Richardson is credited with um, with what became known as Richardson Romanesque. Romanesque. That uh, it's a style of architecture that he is kind of like the founding father of. That uh, a lot of people then duplicated and copied and became a very popular style of architecture. Oh, that whole um, architecture game is just somebody has a cool idea and then they rip that off and make improvements upon it. It's, 
I guess it's similar to comedy, you know, you have to have, <laughs> right. if you don't have Lenny Bruce, then you don't get, you know, George Carlin down the road. Right. So you got to have these things that, who are the innovators who then innovate upon the pioneers, innovation. pioneers, but, but, um, good crew to be working for. Yeah. Stanford white. And the times too, um, America is really coming into its own. I mean, uh, the Columbia Exposition um, c celebrating the 100th uh, anniversary of our founding, you know, 1876. And that whole late uh, 18th, early 19th century is uh, there's a lot of a lot I of think I'm right, on. Dad. I think I'm right. Who's president during this? Time yeah, frame? well, you're you're right there. I mean, that's our own. Don't uh, fuck with him. Don't uh, don't screw around. Don't fuck with Teddy Roosevelt. But uh, yeah, that it's it's in his era. And, you know, America is really starting to flex its muscle with uh, expanding, uh, expanding Army, Navy, um, you know, the Industrial Revolution is really in full force and uh, America is now starting to be seen as uh, this new and up and coming force to be reckoned with uh, oh, yeah. with Before some of this... the innovations, technology and everything else that, uh, um, you know, and their own their own really art form that some of these American architects and artists and playwrights and authors and everything else. So that it's they're no longer considered the the second class to, to Europe, they're, they're on an equal footing. Uh, very much so. And then also, uh, again, America has an appreciating value here. They're starting to realize, well, there's some cool culture going on over here. But where's a lot of our culture come from? His father, mind you, was what is known as an Anglophile. You, you know what that means? Yeah. It, uh, obsessed he, with it. Obsessed with uh, English uh, aristocracy and, uh, you know, everybody's... Uh, I think some of that even carries over today. Everybody's interested in what's going on with the with the royal weddings and all that kind of stuff. But uh, <laughs> this guy was uh, very much into all things British that uh, it was to be looked up to or uh, envied, if you will, That's or emulated. Right. I mean, because we saw how those dirty Irish have come over here. So, <laughs> yeah, know. there we go. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, Henry Hobson Richardson that's a pretty good guy to be working for. His many works, like you said, most notably, by the way, Dad, Boston's Trinity Church. Pretty remarkable looking building. Yes. Uh, commercial buildings, libraries, railroad stations. And after his apprenticeship and then spending himself a neat little year and a half over in Europe studying architectural history, Stanford White now, whose father is the Anglophile we were just talking about. Now he's over in Europe studying everything. He's actually going to come back. He's ready to make his mark on the big old New York City scene. Yeah, he's, other places too. To be honest, he's got some. He's got some street cred. Although uh, you know, Stanford White never really did attend any uh, architectural school or college, um, you know, it was really by uh, an apprenticeship with uh, Richardson. But uh, he's starting to make a name for himself because he just wasn't some, you know, some flunky um, with Richardson. He was very much involved with some of uh, Richardson's work. So uh, he's uh, he's an up and comer for sure. Definitely has a knack for it. He's going to wind up uh, partnering up with two other folks in 1879, two other up-and-comers named William Rutherford Mead and Charles Folan McKim. So their partnership will become credited as one of America's finest architectural partnerships. And each man is kind of cool here. Uh, you don't know who designed what building under their partnership. They all shared credit. Well, so that's uh, yeah, that was uh, interesting, too, uh, with that whole thing with McKim, Mead and, and now Stanford White coming into this um, this firm, 
Um, they were really the start of an architectural firm where it wasn't just one particular architect, but it was the whole firm and all of their uh, – uh, apprentices or underlings or whatever you want to title them, um, that it became a, a team effort rather than just one particular guy, um, that there was a whole well, a whole team, a whole consortium of them coming together to uh, put a, out some of these a buildings. A collective, perhaps? Collective. There you go. You that's, a, that's a better word. A partnership, but, much mm, like Mike and Ming. And know? not one guy really took credit for the whole thing. And each, each guy, McKim, Mead, and White, had their own strengths. Uh, that they would meld together to put out some pretty outstanding, uh, outstanding stuff. Um, uh, Manhattan's uh, former Pennsylvania Station, the Brooklyn Museum. Hang on, Penn Station. Yeah. Yep, Penn Station. You guys, that's them. <laughs> yeah, they're doing pretty good here. That's the that's the guy. And uh, actually, they started out um, doing some private residences. And you might think, oh yeah, nice somebody. They did somebody's residential home. You know, yeah, we're talking like the quote unquote cottages of Newport where you've got people like uh, John Astor and uh, um, Biltmore and the all those guys. Uh, yeah. And the Vanderbilts yeah, you and got all these some, other folks. You got some bucks and those cottages were not cottages. They were huge freaking mansions up in Newport and anybody that's ever you know, visited up there. They, uh, a lot of them still stand today that uh, it's pretty awe-inspiring. And, of course, this is all pre-income tax days. So, you know, money was money was big-time money. Which is pretty fascinating here. And they do very well as a firm, like you said. So you got Penn Station. You nailed that one. Um, Ming, I think you'll appreciate this. They designed the main campus that uh, will later employ uh, Dr. Peter Venkman. Uh, really? Yep, Columbia. Wow. Yep. That's them. So uh, renovations of the east and west wing of the White House as well, mind you. So these guys are getting – the government contracts they're getting are pretty damn good. Oh, yeah. And their, their creations have stood the test of time, been immortalized in movies. Uh, yeah, they, they, they're they – Absolutely. They're, they're pretty talented. I got one even creepier for you here, sir. Um, our boy and his friends, they're not only doing commercial and government jobs. They still found time to work in the residential architecture. The firm – Designed a home for a failed gubernatorial candidate. That means governor. Okay, I'm not trying to sound better than you. I had to look it up too, folks, but that's what that means. Um, he was, uh, the, I believe he was the president of the First Bank of Jersey City. He was going to run for uh, governor of New Jersey, and he failed. But his name was E.F.C. Young. And Young's estate will be named Golden Crest. It is designed and built uh, under the uh, modifications done by our boy Stanford White here as him and his firm designed this. And uh, I'll give you one guess what state that's in. Uh, is it New York? <laughs> Close. Right here in our very oh, own New, New Jersey. Jersey oh, okay. Well, all right. I got the new part right. That's right. It is in right. Elberon Park, New Jersey. Elberon Park, New Jersey. So uh, go up right near Monmouth University. I'm not even kidding about this one. The house will become a vacation spot, right? It will then become a Monmouth College fraternity house. And is now a private residence. That building is still standing right here. Stanford White, leaving a thumbprint behind. What a guy. What a guy, Dad. Yeah. And McKim, Mead, and White uh, together. I mean, uh, the scope of what, uh, their achievements is really outstanding. I mean, like you said, they renovated the east and west wings of the White House. I mean, if you're, if you're being called in to deal with the White House, uh, that's, that's pretty, pretty good national acclaim. The National Museum of American History is one of their designs. Uh, um, 
somewhat of a loserception here. Uh, they also designed uh, Roosevelt Hall at uh, what is now known as Fort Leslie J. McNair, um, which is just outside of Washington. That was the national arsenal back in the time, and that's where they held some of the conspirators for the Lincoln assassination. So, oh no shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're getting some uh, they're getting some pretty good gigs, and that that's on a government side, and also some private residence and and. Uh, government buildings throughout the, the throughout the states across the United States. I mean, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, uh, Some stuff in Maryland as well. A couple they, Baltimore they, buildings. Yeah, they, they have a whole bunch of stuff. To, so they are large and in charge as far as architecture is concerned in, uh, in America at the time. So if you're a listener to the show, you might be asking yourself, how is this guy, Stanford White, who's built some of the most iconic structures in New York? I mean, probably the most... I would say it's in the top five iconic structures in New York City, Dad. I'm going to say Statue of Liberty's up there. Um, obviously, the Empire State Building, Central Park. But in uh, Washington Square Park, there's a little something. Yeah. Is that also perhaps featured in Ghostbusters? Yes, it is. A monster tries to come through it. But uh, <laughs> who went ahead and designed that fucker? Uh, Mr. White himself. Yeah. Uh, Washington, uh, the, the uh, arch in Washington Square Park was uh, a white design. So what else could he have designed had he not been shot by this jerk? All right. I mean, obviously, what could the jerk's motivations have possibly been? How is a fellow that's designing mansions for the Astors and the Vanderbilts a loser? This guy might have broken our algorithm, Dad. I don't think he's a loser. <laughs> yeah. I mean, by all accounts, up until his death, Stanford White's a pretty well thought of guy. But when you get shot in a crowded theater, there has to be a little bit of digging around in your personal life. What could have possibly set this chain of uh, events into motion. Yeah, well, there was, uh, you know, he had a alternate life or certainly an alternate lifestyle, if you oh, will, yeah. that wasn't quite in the public view. By the way, Ming just brought it up here on uh, on Wikipedia. I was going to save it for the end, but, you know, we'll go with it now. Um, Warden Cliff Tower in Long Island, also known as the Tesla Tower, designed by Stanford White. Lose reception, Nikola Tesla. But... Um, Stanford himself in his personal life, he's an interesting guy. He's very tall, which um, women seem to love. Uh, Stanford is sporting a rather boisterous mustache. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You can see it here in the pictures. It's, uh, it, it's, got a, um, it's got a Martin Scorsese eyebrows kind of a thing going on for it. <laughs> a little bit of a Brillo pad on the fray. But um, you can't tell from that photo, but red hair. Yeah, I was going to say he's also a... Fiery red hair. Yeah. So... Um, Big, big personality. And most importantly, uh, he's got a lot of money. So his own home will include uh, much art decor, which he will use to attract females and makes uh, his multi-story apartment in Manhattan. That makes it a pretty easy sell for any lady guests he was hoping to entertain. Hey, why don't you come by? I got these great paintings over here. <laughs> come up and see my etchings. Yeah, come check this out. <laughs> I got something cool here. Yeah, if you love art, let me show you this painting. Yeah, and he was uh, – Stanford White was also, as I said, the, the three – um, founders of the Mead, McKim, and, and White uh, architectural firm, as they started to grow more and more uh, in prominence, um, each guy had their own abilities. Um, and America was really uh, trying to c come into competition with European royalty. So to build these big castles or mansions and stuff, and then to um, set the decor with uh, old world uh, art um, was a huge thing. And uh, Mr. White was that was one of his 
ex- expertises, if you will, to uh, go, go over to Europe and find this stuff and bring it back for these various mansions. And, uh, you know, we're talking uh, big buck money people that uh, weren't afraid to spend it. And this poor man gets shot and killed. For what, Dad? For what? We wow. wind up finding out here, right? <laughs> um, that same apartment we were just talking about that he had all this great artwork on that would open up, I think, on the 24th Ave in Manhattan. He's got prime real estate over there. Um, big mustache, big personality, a lot of money in his uh, pockets. Um, curiously enough, though, uh, he had one room of his apartment that authorities kind of discovered. One room of his apartment is painted all green, and in it, it had a red velvet swing. The swing was attached to the ceiling and hung with ivy-wrapped ropes. A little peculiar, right? A little peculiar. I mean, if a man has a sex swing, that's between him and his wife. But weird thing about him and his wife, um, he married her in 1884, and they had a place together on Long Island where her family was from. So why has this guy got a sex swing at his place in Manhattan? Yeah, the wife wasn't wasn't uh, frequenting the uh, the Manhattan apartment. I'm going to say no, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Well, uh, as it would turn out, folks, all the uh, almost ripped from today's headlines: weird secret sex cults with underage girls. That's in the news today with uh, Ghislaine Maxwell and uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Well, they're not just conspiracy theories of the far right. A uh, legit New York City club called the Union Club. It was a gentleman's club in New York City, had several members that engaged in some extracurricular activities. Among them was Stanford White, who reportedly used his wealth, his power, his assets, and of course, that ivy swing in his apartment to procure young, often well-underaged women into his bed. White and many of the other powerful elites of the city were involved in an underage sex ring. I'm not making this up. <laughs> Wait a minute, under, is this today's, this today's headlines? Or this, was, uh, this is not the Lolita Express, it, folks. It wasn't this the is, first time this happened? This is an architecture yeah. <laughs> genius yeah. in New York City in the 1900s. Um, an underage sex ring that would often involve orgies with young women that were forced or betrayed into servitude by the promise or threat of the men who were abusing them and their combined money, power, and influence. So a lot of times what would happen here is... Uh, they would uh, present themselves, Stanford White in particular, would present himself to a young girl in need or something like that as something of a father figure. Or, hey, I'm, I'll be your mentor. I'll help take care of you. you. Are you looking for a guardian? And then he would wind up, you know, showing what his true intentions were. Um, but why would we, two kids from Jersey, Dad, just trying to <laughs> yeah. tell stories about America. Why would we try to expand upon that when we can just go to one of the greatest writers of all time, an American author that was acquainted with White? said this of him in his own autobiography. This is the writer's personal autobiography in which he mentions his dealings with Stanford White. Eagerly and diligently and ravenously and remorselessly hunting young girls to their destruction. These facts have been well known in New York for many years, but they have never been openly proclaimed until now. On the witness stand, in the hearing of a courtroom crowded with men, the girl, told in the minutest detail the history of White's pursuit of her, even down to the particulars of his atrocious victory, a victory whose particulars might well be said to be unprintable. That author, Samuel Clemens, also known as Mark Twain. Mark Twain goes, yeah, this guy sucks. Everybody knows this guy sucks, but he had too much power and we couldn't take him down. So if you ever needed a Me Too movement, it would have been in 1901 
to handle a motherfucker like this. This guy needed to get canceled bad. All yeah, right? unfortunately, we didn't have the hashtag to uh, to do that. It's uh, I mean, that hadn't been invented yet. So there's there's been a lot of there's some bad people out there. OK, and there's some bad people. Out there's there. there's a lot of a lot of heavyweight people that were involved. The same uh, gentleman's club that uh, Mr. White belonged to that didn't want to uh, to come out to, to didn't want that to become public as to uh, they also are, are members it was a, a secret society, if you will, or a secret club, and they wanted to keep a club it within way. a club. Yeah, right. right. And uh, we're going to keep it quiet here too, even though Stanford's you know doing some real just dirty bastard type stuff. We're going to keep it quiet because if they start looking into him, he can start mentioning that we sometimes hang out here too. Turns into a finger pointing thing, you know. So they're just trying to keep it quiet if they can. And uh, of course, Stanford White winds up getting shot in public here. More on that in a second. It would seem the major chain reaction event of Stanford White's life will take place in 1901 when he would gaze upon a young fashion model named Evelyn Nesbitt. Uh, Ming was bringing up pictures of her earlier. She's very pretty. She's got yeah, a very pretty she face. She is absolutely hot. You know, when you see a girl um, in an old-timey photo and you'll sit there and you'll say, oh, she was probably considered attractive for the time. Uh, there's pictures of this girl, obviously, when she's older because I'm no fucking creep. Um, <laughs> you can tell she's a very pretty lady. You know what I mean? But uh, apparently, um, when he was first meeting her. She was on her way to becoming a, an up-and-coming it girl of the times in fashion, thanks to uh, a relationship approved by her mother in which White was kind of taking on a caretaker role like we talked about. Uh, and he would use, oh, I have this connections to the art world. You'll be seen by all the best photographers. You know, we'll get um, these uh, artsy shots done of you. A lot of photographs. Are, she's very pretty. A little... Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe an Audrey Hepburn thing going on or something. I don't know. It's... Uh, but she's definitely uh, a pretty girl. She's got a pretty face. And uh, she's very, very young when uh, Stanford White meets her, though. And it's uncomfortable to talk about this shit, but it happened. All right. Um, this is 1901 when he winds up meeting her. Uh, now. When White first met her. Correct. And her name is. Evelyn Nesbitt. Eve said Evelyn that. Nesbitt. Yes. Okay. We yeah. Now, that. her background was um, um, troubled, if you will, that her father. Her father was a lawyer, and then he dies and really leaves the family penniless. Uh, he dies when she's like 10. And the mother was a, ho a homemaker, but now she's trying to find work as a seamstress to support the family, to support her, her who's a 10-year-old. like a, a sexual her, predator's dream. And a, and oh, a, a dad that's not in the picture? Yeah, the dad's not in the picture. Um, and it's just the mom... Um, Evelyn and her brother, and they're moving about trying to, you know, trying to survive, if you will. Uh, eventually, they move to Philadelphia, where mom is working in a, in a department store kind of a thing. And then she is able to get the kids work there as well. And then uh, Evelyn Nesbitt is kind of discovered by a legit artist from the Philadelphia area. And he starts... Um, uh, painting her, you know, she starts posing for him and the pay to pose as a model is better than working in a department store. And <laughs> mom kind of mom kind of takes off on that, that um, mom is now ruling the roost type of a thing and deciding uh, who, where and who is she going to be posing for and starts to develop a career for her 
as a, a regular Dina Lohan yeah. <laughs> as an artist model. Uh, and then mom uh, then moves to New York City trying to get into the fashion industry. Again, she's got this seamstress uh, capabilities, if you will, and she tries to break into the uh, fashion industry in, in New York. That doesn't go well. So mom's really not making it on her own abilities, but and she starts um, drumming up additional work for the for the young Evelyn, who is now like 14, maybe 15 years old. And she starts posing for various artists in the New York City uh, um, art community, if you will. And she starts to be um, making a name for herself that, uh, you know, she is um, there's a line from the movie yeah. called uh, The Neon Demon that uh, it's a young girl who shows up in L.A. to make it as a model. And uh, she goes, well, I ain't got much, but I got pretty. I can make money with that. Yeah. And that's she exactly that's doing. exactly what happened. I mean, um, Evelyn Nesbitt and then starts to go into uh, theater work, working as a, uh, a, a chorus girl and uh, um, a dancer and that type of thing. So she becomes... Um, you know, uh, a celebrity in her own right type of thing. And uh, she's certainly easy to look at. And that's when uh, Mr. White starts to uh, take notice of her as well. And, um, uh, you know, Mom, Mama Nesbitt um, starts to take her around to, to be begin working as a model and around age uh, 14, 15, maybe even 16, White, who was already married and white at the time, now he's 48, invites her over to dinner. Um, so she's a, she's a somewhat of a celebrity at this time. And the, the charge was or is that after playing her with champagne and, and possibly uh, even drugs, um, the Twisted Architect would then uh, raped the girl, the unconscious girl, and that's when things start getting out of control. Now, that was the charge, but at the same time, they continued to go out with one another for about six months. Even though uh, White is married, uh, they still became uh, an item, if you will, either on the sly or, or whatever, but uh, they were going on and on for about six months. That's when things got out of control. A little sublime action there for you. The infamous song, you guys know what it's called. It's a terrible, ter it's a wonderful song, but a terrible thing, a terrible action. That's what's going on here with uh, poor old Evelyn Nesbitt. She winds up getting day raped by this guy. He's drugging her. He's going full Cosby. It's bad. All right. It's a very uh, upsetting thing. Like you said, Dad, she's only 15 or 16 years old. She gets invited over for dinner. Then she gets given champagne, and then she gets possibly drugged, too, according to her own testimony. But... It's um, a terrible thing here as well, too, because you don't know if it's just because it was uh, a sign of the times or if it was because maybe she was in some sort of a denial thing because she didn't want to feel like maybe she was truly victimized. Maybe she wanted to have like, oh, no, I, I, I still have some free will in this. They wind up keeping in touch for about six months afterwards. And it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty hairy. Yeah. I mean, if, you're, you're, if your first date ends up in a date rape. And, but, and then you're still going out for another six months. That's a little bit in question, too. And then she was, you said before that she was the it girl. She was most definitely um, the hottie of the times, if you will, because she's being featured on uh, more than just uh, a photographer's uh, or um, uh, an artist's model. She's being featured on Vanity Fair, Harper's Bazaar, 
Ladies Home Journal, Cosmopolitan. Um, she's even uh, featured on Prudential Life Insurance uh, calendars and stuff and Coca-Cola Corporation. And then um, um, Charles Dana Gibson, one of the country's most renowned artists of the time, um, she becomes like the number one Gibson girl, what would later become known as the Gibson girls, which is kind of like the uh, the ultimate uh, American image of uh, what um, a beautiful American woman should look like. She's got a little Victoria's Secrets Angels thing going on. You know, there you go. On. So, I mean, who wouldn't want to have a date, quote unquote, with one of the Victoria's Secret models? Well, the same type of an idea is going on here with uh, with Evelyn Nesbitt. Um they do grow apart, though, her and uh, Stanford White. And um, they drift apart, as, as you would hope most people do from their abuser. Um, and that's that, let's be clear, that's what Stanford White is here, a total abuser on this one. And um, I think part of the reason why they drift apart is because uh, Miss Nesbitt's developing a career of her own now. She's actually going to wind up getting married herself a couple of years later. Um, but also, she's unfortunately aging out of the demographic that Stanford White likes to seem to go after here because he's a sick fuck. So, um, like we said, they remain – in 1905, Miss Nesbitt will actually marry a railroad tycoon heir <laughs> by the name of Harry Kendall Thaw. Yeah. And he is – well, he's pretty quick to short circuit. Um, he's kind of known for that too. And he comes into – he doesn't make the money himself. He inherits all the money. So, this is yeah, a, a classic rich kid here. It's the classic rich kid. His his dad was a railroad baron uh, out of uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But um, even at an early age, uh, uh, the son, Harry Kendall Thaw, um, everybody kind of said, that this, this kid's a screwball. I mean, he's he's just – he's out there. Um, he's wackadoodle that, again, he's noted in um, – have temper tantrums, fits of rage, th throwing stuff at the – at the servants and uh, drugs back then, which you drugs, wonder what he drugs was back into. then. I bet you they had some um, opium and cocaine and shit like that. Absolutely. And then um, um, he he wants to play. He wants to play the role of the of the playboy. I mean, he's got money, money to burn. That it was one of uh, he was one of the guys that was noted for lighting a cigar with a hundred dollar bill. Uh, so, I mean, this is the time. This is in times when, um, uh, you know, somebody who making a hundred dollars uh, in a couple of months time would be a working man's wage type of a thing. So um, but again, he is the spoiled brat, the little rich kid um, gets thrown out of one college is through daddy's influence. He's able to get into Harvard, where by his own. Uh, testimony, or he said, uh, or in his own braggadocious way, he said that he studied poker at Harvard. So, you know. <laughs> but uh, then he gets thrown out of Harvard under mysterious circumstances. And it was dad's money that got him into Harvard in the first place. And then all of a sudden, uh, pack your shit, you're out of here by three o'clock this afternoon type of a thing. So what exactly oh went on, on um, it still is kind of uh, Harvard expelled him for quote, immoral practices. So, you know, he was, uh, I said he was whacked. Um, a little bit of a sexual deviant himself. Nothing, I didn't find anything about him doing um, underage girls stuff, though. I think that might be where even a, a screwball rich kid like this draws the line. But uh, he's, um, if you look at pictures of him, which we'll put him up on the Instagram, 
He is, his eyes are crazy. He's definitely got some shit going on behind those eyes. You're like, oh, well, I don't know if I want to mess with this guy. He's got uh, Henry Ford eyes, I would say. But uh, again, he winds up marrying uh, Elizabeth Nesbitt Shaw now, right? Takes the last name and everything. So he's this is a rich guy with a lot of money. And of course, he marries uh, one of the most beautiful women in the country. And, uh, you know, you got to think about that because these guys, they don't look at these women as their partners. These are possessions to them. It's a trophy wife. It's a trophy wife, right? You see that a lot too with the, you know a lot of modern athletes, uh, celebrities, stuff like that. It's not about the relationship. It's about how they uh, people perceive them for being in that relationship. But anyway, uh, what's going to ruin your shiny new car? Maybe finding out somebody owned it before you. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Maybe finding out. Put a dent in it. <laughs> yeah. Then you find out that the person who owned it before you is a guy you don't like to begin with. And this guy mocks you in all the society, like the high society circles. And these are, it's a club you can't get into because there's like, well, he doesn't actually do anything. He just has his father's money. We're actually architects and we're New Yorkers and we're blah, blah. He's just a, yeah. they call him the Pennsylvania pug. And once, once Thor was thrown out of, uh, thrown out of Harvard, uh, he really went off the rails with that. I mean, just spending money left and right. His father dies. Um, well, actually, while his father was still alive in an attempt to curb his son's uh, excesses, if you will, will be polite. He limited his monthly allowance to monthly allowance to twenty five hundred dollars. Now, this is in the times when, you know, twenty five hundred dollars uh, at that time. A working man would probably earn maybe $500 a year. Uh-huh. And this guy's on $2,500 a month allowance. So, uh, you know, a lavish dinner at Delmonico's uh, restaurant at that time, which Delmonico's, I mean, it's a great steakhouse. It's but, still good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's still good. And it's still going on. But at that time, a restaurant, a lavish dinner at Delmonico's would cost you about a buck and a half. And now this guy's got 2500 a month to, to spend. A, a uh, true story, by the way, when Lynn Coppolis and I did that gig up in Utica, she goes, I can either give you gas money or I can buy you dinner at Delmonico's and you can have whatever you want. And I sat there and I was like, this is a Kia Soul. It gets 40 miles to the Delmonico's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, um, you know, his father dies and now his mother is in charge of, of the estate, if you will. And his his mother had to be a very domineering woman. We'll be polite here and say that she was a domineering woman. But, um, you know, she's taking care of, of Sonny Boy um, that upon the death of her husband, now Thor's mother, increased his allowance to $8,000. So Oof, he's, got, he's, he's got money to burn. And, and um, you know, it just became noted for running these lavish uh sex orgy parties kind of a thing and and again everybody everybody or this all is the thaw now that's doing this as well th- this is thaw and and this what is it about lots of money that just makes these guys sex addicts and then and, and um after getting thrown out of harvard now he and and daddy's has now died he wants to get in with the in crowd with the the elite the social elite of new york city and he wants to get into some of these various clubs that White already belongs to. But he's constantly being uh, turned away or denied. Entry he's not the charming these. guy that uh, yeah, Stanford yeah, White is. They know that this guy, this guy's a freaking whack. I mean, he's he's crazy people. We don't want crazy people. And, um, you know, he's he's going to bring in publicity to this 
secret organization that we have here that we really don't need. But in his mind, it's white who's the guy that's constantly blackballing him from entering into some of these various clubs. That it's white who is responsible for excluding him from becoming in with the in crowd, the social elite of, of New York. Well, um, again, white does mock him openly referring to him as the Pennsylvania pug. And they, they did just look down on him. Yeah. So he's not crazy in thinking this way. He's a crazy person who's being treated this way and then taking it to crazy person levels, as we're going to find out. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's beating the crap out of people. Thaw this is now he's beating the crap out of people. Um, and then, um, and putting partners in handcuffs and bondage and, and, uh, and um, throwing these lavish, extravagant parties that drew wide publicity. And nobody within the, the social elite of New York City needed that kind of publicity to be involved with, with this guy. So, um, you know, but it was always the money that was able to keep him relevant Yeah, out of out of. Uh, uh, the the law taking the taking the turn on him. So, um, but in his mind, and it's a crazy mind. It's white who is always keeping him from attaining the social status that he clamors for. What do you want, Tony? The world, Chico, and everything. <laughs> That's in right. It. So um, now, white again. He's not. Um, he's already back into his old ways of procuring underage girls here. So he's not really missing Evelyn Nesbitt too too much. But it seems to be all that um, Harry Thaw can think about is that this guy raped my wife. This, you know, my wife was betrayed as a young girl by this guy. You know, and he's a jerk and he mocks me. And, and I see him in public one day. I'm going to take his head off. Yeah, you know? and shortly after after White um, had his rendezvous, if you will, with uh, Evelyn Nesbitt, that's when um, Thaw steps in and he starts to woo her and, and he wants to uh, put the notch in his uh, bedpost with her um, but he wants to marry her and which he does she becomes which, Evelyn Nesbitt Thaw yep. correct um, now again it doesn't matter White maybe he's not sitting there saying oh I just lost uh, out on uh, you know an old girl of mine because she's not she is old now no longer what he likes she's in her 20s at this point gross right <laughs> so but it yeah, all goes haywire. Yeah, disgusting. It really Pastor is. Pastor Prime. It's, it, it grosses you out even to joke about it, but we have to try to make some light of this. Um, now, uh, it all goes to ha pretty much hell in a handbasket. We're going to have to wrap this episode up soon, too, because uh, my throat is just destroyed right now. But uh, it all goes haywire one night at Madison Square Garden, of all places. Shaw sees White dining at the same restaurant he's at before the opening night of a show called, again, Mademoiselle Champagne. So, Stanford White will be shot three times towards the end of the show by Henry Kendall Thaw, uh, who's seeming to be reclaiming the honor taken from his wife. So, uh, this is him saying, like, oh, you're going to pay for what you did to my wife kind of thing. The exact quote again, you've ruined my wife, and then unloads three rounds, two of them hitting him, one not. How you missed the third round, I don't know, buddy. Come on, work a little harder. But uh, Stanford White dies in that theater. And the ensuing trial that will go down will be known as the trial of the century, Dad. And how's that play out? Um, yeah, I mean, we thought that the uh, O.J. Simpson trial was the trial of the century. Uh, well, different century, but uh, um, this became a huge thing because, hey, let's face it, what a story. You got sex, 
you got underage sex, you got um, young girls, you got this secret sex club, you got all these rich and famous that might be involved, and we're in the height of yellow journalism. So there's another uh, loose exception. Who's going to start covering it? Are you <laughs> yeah. telling me that William Randolph Hearst? Yeah. So the papers really start playing this up big time, and you know what a story. I mean, it's got it's got everything that you could want in a story, uh, and um, the defense of Thor murdering. Um, white. I mean, it's obvious. I mean, when you got all these witnesses in this restaurant where he comes up and shoots the guy, um, it's hard to deny that. But now Mama Thaw steps in, too, because initially what they wanted, even the judge wanted, was hoping for, was that he would go with a, a defense of uh, insanity. Because hang on, has that ever worked before? <laughs> well, Damn that, sickles. Well, hang on, hang on. Um the insanity defense would then um, take the the press out of the out of the courtroom. So a lot of the interesting little tidbits that might be revealed would be uh, locked in. Um, but Mama Thaw wouldn't have that. That she didn't want the family name to be tainted. That there was somebody that was insane. <laughs> Even though um, her son is, you know, a blue goose loony for for a long since since forever, since his childhood. Um, so there's a compromise that uh, they're going to plead temporary insanity. But one of the interesting things, too, is with all this publicity going on, the jury for the first time ever is sequestered. That the jury was kept out of that, and it was the first time that in, a, in an American trial that the jury was sequestered, that they weren't going to be um, let on as to what was going on with what the newspapers were were drumming up. Because, I mean, the newspapers are going after anybody and anybody that might be remotely connected with this whole thing. Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, and again, there's a lot of heavy hitters with this within, within the theater, within the art world, within uh, the architecture world, just finance, banking, politics, uh, who, who's, who was a member of these various sex clubs? Um, it appears he was a lone actor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lone gunman, right? We have investigated ourselves and found that we have done no wrong. So, ridiculous though, man. It really is insane. Um, I can't believe the story is real. And now, of course, how does it end, Dad? What does the jury come back with? Um, yeah, he was... Uh, he was... Um, uh, found guilty. Uh, well, actually, there was two trials. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, there were two trials. I think one ended uh, and then they actually had to retrial this guy. Um, and uh, Nesbitt received. Um, uh, the attempted to have the client released from uh, Matawan. That was a uh, an insane asylum kind of a thing. So he did have to serve time, but it was in in an insane asylum. Even while he was under um, lock for the for the trial, it was in the tombs, which is a notorious uh, facility um, lockup in New York City. But um, you know there was pictures in the newspaper of him in his <laughs> own private. It wasn't a cell. It was a. a a holding area kind of a thing, and Delmonico is is Delmonico's is is providing the the food, the catering, the catering, catering for him. So even even while he's under uh, 
in, uh, imprisonment, if you will, he's he's not really serving any hard time. You know, if you're sure. eating Delmonico's every day and you're staying in a, a pretty luxurious place on your own, maybe it was worth it to shoot your wife's rapist. <laughs> you know, but uh, an absolutely bizarre story. And this guy, again, um, you know, Stanford White, his thumbprint is all over New York City to this day. A lot of his buildings still standing, some iconic structures there. Guy clearly had a brilliant mind for this whole thing. He did some amazing work in his life. But I'm going to go ahead and say it. I don't know if you guys feel good here. We, we try not to be a political show, but sometimes you just have to get out there and make a controversial statement, Dad. I am against underage sex trafficking. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to tell you guys what you're yeah. all about, okay? Yeah. I'm not going to tell Ming what he has to do or my father what he has to do, but I personally am against it. You fellows can have your own opinions, but me as a man. <laughs> I mean, what this story, I'm sitting there, we get it sent to us by Doug Vogel. And I'm sitting there like, oh, cool, he's an architect guy. Maybe there's like some weird building design that it was a failure or something like that, or a building broke apart. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, and then they found his sex swing. And then, I mean, this story just goes off the rails pretty quick. He's getting murdered in public. You know, uh, the girl involved in the story is considered like the, uh, the I, I don't want to, I don't know what would be a good model, the Kate Upton of her day, if you will, if I wanted to use a modern uh, parlance for that. But it's pretty ridiculous, man. Um, the story makes no sense. And uh, you don't know who to root for because you're pretty happy that the pedophile rapist gets shot at the end. But then you kind of curious, like, I hope Evelyn's OK, because it seems like her new husband's equally as batshit as uh her former abuser. So you got to hope that, I mean, I don't know what to do with that whole part of the story, but it's um, it's a wild one here, man. It was uncomfortable to talk about it a couple of times here, but we wanted to tell the story because it deserves to be heard. So, and uh, oh boy, <laughs> Ming found a picture, Dad. Oh, there you go. And it would appear that that's the swing in question. The Stanford White site marked for development. Oh, what little girl wouldn't want to have a... A ride on the, sw on the yep. velvet swing. A red velvet swing with ivy hanging from it in an all green room. You creepy motherfucker. LP, anything you want to say to the good folks on the way out? No, it's just that, you know, um, Thaw in the end did have a second trial. And then it was in the second trial that he pleaded temporary insanity, a legal strategy um, that his second uh, counsel of chief defense counsel came up with and he did have to uh, serve some time in Manawan State Hospital for the criminally insane and Fishkill, New York. Um, but uh, he wasn't in with the general prison population, that's for sure. Special arrangements or accommodations were set up for oh, him. Oh, yeah, you said that. And uh, and uh, Mrs. Uh, Thaw, our own uh, uh, Miss Nesbitt, um, she was uh, provided uh, financial security, shall we say, for her uh, favorable testimony to the whole to the whole thing. So, you know, money talks and bullshit walks. But, she had uh, assistant for slicing the garlic with a razor blade, so it would melt in the pan. <laughs> but um, no, fucked up wild story here on this one. Um, thank you for bearing with us too, by the way, guys. Uh, my, as you can tell, I'm kind of losing my voice right now. I don't know what to do with all that. Uh, I don't believe it's COVID. We're going to find out. I've tested negative a few times. But uh, uh, thoughts and prayers out to the big corona. We hope he's doing good out there. <laughs> the big corona. Yeah, he's waiting for his test results to find out what's going on with him. And again, he wanted to be here today because he was going to make some money. But uh, thank you so much to Ming for uh, filling into us on a, uh, a snowy day here in New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> Schools are closed. One, one, two, three, four. Wait a minute. Five snowflakes came down. You better I close school. Uh, 
But uh, I will say this. Thank you so much to uh, Doug Vogel for giving us this topic. Thank you to the uh, the founding losers over on Patreon who keep the show going every week. Uh, big announcements coming up for me. You guys know the deal by now. This weekend, I'll be in Austin, Texas at the Creek in the Cave with uh, my good buddy, Mike Cannon, one of my favorite comics. Um, he's got a new hour of material that I think is going to uh, really – I think he's going to uh, ascend another level in this video game of stand-up comedy. But uh, – great human being can't wait to be hanging out with him all weekend that's why i gotta take care of my voice now so i still have to tell dick jokes on the weekend there you go and the weekend after that uh me and the great bobby kelly the dude himself will be a mohegan son in connecticut uh that's going to be uh, a thursday friday and a saturday up there of next weekend which i believe is what the 13th 14th 15th i think that's it but anyway come support all that stuff too the album's coming out soon guys now i told you about it. i'm waiting on the record company at this point so it's not in my hands here shot Edited, um, directed by one Christian Detrell Cordez, written and performed by K.P. Burke. And in the audience, you guys might see a familiar mustachioed man <laughs> sitting in the back. My father, the only guy who brought a, a, a cooler full of shock top to the event. No, it wasn't shock top. Wasn't shock top? What well, was maybe it? it was. I can't remember. I think it was shock top, but he walks in with his own cooler because he goes, it was oh, either that or Schmidtix. I can't remember. <laughs> might have been both. But Ming, thank you so much for your help today, my friend. All right. And if, uh, if Kahuna should uh, succumb, to, uh, you know, the, the Rona. All right. We're just going to have to find a way to uh, split up all the puppets that we got from over the years. My Corona. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, dude. But continue to support the show. Uh, I'm at KP Burke Sucks over on Instagram. KP Burke over on Facebook. You'll find the upcoming dates and other jokes and stuff like that are right up there. All the links to the episode. And please consider joining the Patreon if you haven't already. It's for as little as three bucks a month. Show up. Join at one time. Listen to some back catalog and bail. Do what you got to do, man. I totally <laughs> decide. Yeah. yeah. Then decide. But it's three bucks a month here. I know it's a shit economy right now, but you know what? Uh, we work really hard on the show, and every penny that you guys give us always goes into the show and the other content we're trying to provide for you. So I'm not dipping. I'm not buying TVs or anything like that. All right, there's no uh, payments being made on my car, thanks to you guys. Um, we literally get to continue to buy Ming's love, and maybe with a little bit extra, pay off the Kahuna. So, <laughs> there you go. But uh, we love you guys so much. Thank you for joining the show. My name was KP Burke, and that was Stanford White. Happy New Year, American loser. American loser the day I was born An American loser the day I was born An American loser the day I was born